Jeremiah chapter 20, 7 through 13. This is the word of God. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my prosecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten, O Lord of hosts, who tests their righteousness, who sees the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy, from the hand of evildoers. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning from Jeremiah 20. I think this has been a uh, significant little passage uh, in my life because I find this little glimpse into Jeremiah's heart so fascinating. Like Jeremiah, has there been a time in your life where you were so confused and upset that you felt like you needed to have a heart-to-heart conversation with God? Amanda and I lived and worked in China for four years after seminary, and many of you know that while we were there, uh, Liam and Elliot were little. We also had a number of children that came into our home and lived for extended periods of time. And each time we said yes, we were nervous, but each time we truly felt like these were needs that God had placed right in front of us. The first little girl that was with us, we got to see her adopted and go to be with her family. And it truly felt like a happy ending. And then next we took in a teenager uh, with some severe medical needs. He eventually went to a group home when he was healthy enough. But then he was hospitalized later that year, and he did not recover, and he passed away. And this was everything but a happy ending for us. It was heavy. It was almost unbearable. But we pushed on. And then I think it was in 2016, we had a little girl, Maymay, and a little boy, Giakai, in our home at the same time. We had agreed to take Maymay until her international adoption was finalized. And we knew that this could take months and months. That was okay. And then Giakai, we had agreed to take for a short time until another family who was moving to the city could take over his care. So taking care of these little ones, it had its challenges, but we were hopeful that things would work out according to the plan, right? And then on the same day, we found out that the family who was moving to town was not going to take Giakai. Instead, he was going to have to go back to the orphanage and we found out that not only had Maymay's adoption paperwork not been completed, 
But it seemed like those responsible for the paperwork were actually delaying it for some kind of bureaucratic reason. Her adoption and others were going to be delayed for months and months because of human pride. And I remember this day so clearly because I took my lunch break from work and I just walked around a park that was there in town praying, God, what are you doing? Why would you let these things happen to these children? You say in your word that you place the fatherless in their homes and you say in your word that you care about those in need. How can this be what you want? I thought I saw all the happy endings for these kids, not whatever this was. God, make it make sense. I just remember this. Have you, have you ever been where I was? Um, I'm talking about when you or someone that you love goes through deep hurt or loss, and all you can take away from that experience is doubts and questions. How were you good and righteous there, Lord? How could that have possibly been good? I felt like this was obviously something that you wanted me to do, and then it all fell apart. This morning, we see Jeremiah having a heart-to-heart with God. Jeremiah feels personally betrayed by God, and he wants answers. Are Jeremiah's accusations warranted? Is this the way he's meant to talk to God? Is it wrong to question God in this way? So this morning, I want us to see this situation from the the perspective of the rest of Scripture, and I want us to prepare ourselves for these times in our lives when we experience sorrow, doubts, and questions. So we've been in Jeremiah for a couple of months now. We've seen Jeremiah's calling at a young age to the difficult task of turning the nation of Judah to the Lord before Babylon comes and destroys them. I find that Jeremiah is one of the easier books of Old Testament prophecy to read because the messages that he preaches, they are connected with stories in Jeremiah's life. Sometimes those stories are what we would call sign acts, or they're a sermon illustration. They're illustrative actions that go along with the message that he's teaching. Some of them have been strange. A few weeks ago, we were talking about dirty loincloths, and last week we were talking about the potter and the clay. But we often just see the real consequences of Jeremiah's faithfulness to God. He preaches, and then there's consequences for that preaching. He's imprisoned, he's thrown into an empty well, he's beaten, put in stocks, forced to endure the destruction of Jerusalem. Through the life of Jeremiah, we see the cost of faithfulness to God's word. First of all, I want us to see what happens in the text. At the beginning of the chapter, Jeremiah is beaten for his message. Our text this morning is broken down in these two main parts. First part, the story of him being beaten. The second part is when he turns to God in prayer. So chapter 20, it begins by introducing us to the priest, Pashur. Pashur was in charge of the temple guards. They were responsible for maintaining order in the temple area and also for protecting all of the valuable instruments used for worship in the temple, all the silver and gold objects that were used there. So Pashur heard Jeremiah prophesying He saw him stirring up the crowds, and he decided that Jeremiah needed to be silenced. So, angered beyond control, Pasher, the priest of God, 
has Jeremiah, prophet of God, beaten and put in stocks, where he would be publicly mocked and abused until the next day. This wasn't a sermon illustration. These were the consequences of Jeremiah's faith. Now, being put in stocks was incredibly torturous and insulting. When you hear stocks, you probably think of the big wooden stand that locks around your neck and your hands. But this device used on Jeremiah was much worse. It's a metal collar described here that binds the neck and the hands and the feet in this terrible toe touch, like doubling over your body. What an incredibly painful way to spend the night out in public. Your pain on display. No bathroom breaks or a chance to stretch. It sounds unbearable. Maybe even terrible enough to silence Jeremiah entirely. But the next day when Jeremiah is released, he has a message to share with the people and with Pasher in particular. Look at verse 3 of chapter 20. The Lord does not call your name Pasher. Most likely Pasher means tranquility. Tranquility, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and he shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all of its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. That is a strong message after a night of humiliation. Reading prophecy, we can often become kind of desensitized to everything that these men go through. We see these these signs and illustrations, we read the corresponding message, and then we think, wow, that was a rough one. And then we just keep reading on to the next one, like, well, what happened the next time? But the prayer that follows this story of Jeremiah suffering under the priest, this is what strikes the most. Because when he needs strength, Jeremiah turns to God. He turns to God with his doubts, his shame, his praise, and his sorrow. Let's look at this. Jeremiah turns to God with his doubt. Turns out Jeremiah was not okay with what just happened. So what does Jeremiah do with his pain and his doubts? He rightly talks to the Lord and tells him the truth. Look at verse 7. Oh Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You were stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Jeremiah says, what was that? (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. I feel lied to. No one would willingly agree to be mocked and beaten. The word that translated as deceived, it actually carries this idea of being enticed or seduced. But of course, God does not lie. And it is not in his character to deceive. 
But Jeremiah felt like the Lord had taken advantage of him and had lured him into this ministry. You overpowered me and prevailed. Jeremiah feels helpless and taken advantage of by God. However, when you review the account of Jeremiah's call, you find no evidence that God had enticed him. The Lord had told him plainly what would happen. If you remember this from Jeremiah chapter 1. Get ready. Stand up and tell them everything I command you. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Today, I'm the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and brawn walls against the whole land. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. God had warned him that the demands of his calling would increase, and that he would have to grow in order to keep going. What Jeremiah's ministry was doing for the nation was important, but just as important as what Jeremiah's ministry was doing for Jeremiah. This is what God is doing in the life of all of his people. As you face the adversities of life, God is changing you. As James says, the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance results in maturity. So Jeremiah turns to God with his doubts, and he wonders, is there another way? He considers just keeping his mouth closed. His logic is, well, I can't keep God from speaking to me, but I don't have to speak for him. But as much as he tries to back away from God's demands on his life, he cannot. He says in verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a fire, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I grow weary from holding it in, and I cannot. Fire in his bones. It's like there's no way around it. There's no escape from it. He is a prophet, after all. and By definition, he has an unpopular message. God only raises up prophets when there's a problem to be addressed. He doesn't raise up prophets to encourage. He has a God-defined purpose, and it's in his DNA. Literally, God designed him for this purpose. Do you remember this? This is in chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Stephen Smith says... As the sinew was coalescing on Jeremiah's bones, God knew that those fingers would point down to man and up to God, and that the feet would take him to stand where few were willing to stand, and that the vocal cords would arrest the attention of the nations. God made him for this reason, and for this reason, he cannot escape. And as much as we might want a way out, he knows that the word of the Lord is inescapable. Others in the Bible talk about this in a similar way. Amos, another prophet, he says, A lion has roared, and who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, and who will not prophesy? And then Paul in Corinthians, he says, If I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I'm compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now you, you you may not feel that compulsion to preach or prophesy. But the words of your life, they come from a similar compulsion. Taking a lower paying job because it gives you more time with your family. Speaking up 
for what is good and right. Maybe taking a loved one into your home who needs hands-on care. Or taking kids into your home. Brothers and sisters, there will be times in our lives when we feel almost a godly compulsion to speak. Godly compulsion to act. Even when it doesn't make much sense. And that is because we are also called to this gospel ministry. We may not feel it, but our calling is just as clear as Jeremiah's. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We are called. We are called to a life that shows the world our confidence in God and His gospel. But when we feel that confidence waning and sorrow rising, what do we do then? We turn to God with our doubt and be honest with Him. Jeremiah experienced not only the pain from his message, but he also felt mocked and shamed by the people around him. Those that he even says he trusted. But let's see, Jeremiah turns to God with his shame. In verse 10, it says, I've heard the gossip of many people, terror is on every side. Report him, let's report him. Everyone I trusted watches for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived so that we might prevail against him and take our vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed and everlasting humiliation that will never be forgotten. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. The crowds watched Jeremiah and they took note of what he did and said so that they could find something criminal to report to the authorities. Joseph's brothers in Genesis, they plot against him. David has similar experiences. And this is the way Jesus' enemies treated him as well. They conspired and whispered behind his back. There's not much worse than being mischaracterized. To have your words misunderstood and straight lies to be told about you. When we are mistreated and mischaracterized, we feel helpless. What can we do? Not like we can talk to every person, straighten it out. But there is strength in remembering that the Lord is near even then. Christians, being born again, it means being born into a life of opposition and difficulty. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not worth it. And there will come a time where everything will make sense. Jesus will stand as judge of all and set all records straight. Who you were, what you have said, what people have said about you. It's important to note that divine vengeance here, this is not meant to be taken as a vindictive vengeance or in a vindictive sense. In the Psalms, it's used to, uh, for a welcome restoration of the rule of justice that leads to peace. This is in Psalm 94. Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine, rise up, judge the earth. 
Repay the proud what they deserve. If I say my foot is slipping, your faithful love will support me, Lord. When I'm filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Jeremiah finds strength in knowing that God has not abandoned him. He's near Jeremiah in his doubts and in his shame. And then Jeremiah turns to God with his praise. Turns to God with praise in verse 13. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from evil people. It seems almost miraculous that Jeremiah is turning his sufferings into a song of praise. And it's remarkable that he's preaching this to himself. In the midst of his doubt and sorrow, he commands himself to sing to the Lord. Imperative. Sing to the Lord. Not because he feels like it, but because it's true. There are incredible stories in Scripture about suffering and doubt that turn to praise. I uh, think of Elijah. So Elijah, after his amazing victory over the prophets of Baal, he runs in fear for his life into the wilderness. And then at Mount Horeb, he cries out to God that he's all alone. There's no one left. And then the wind comes and an earthquake comes and fire comes. But on that mountain, Elijah finds no comfort in those things. In the soft whisper of God's voice, he is comforted. And then Job, after reasoning with his friends, he finds no comfort or understanding for why his children are dead and everything has been taken away. But then he hears from God and experiences his presence. And he says, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen. That experience of God comforts him. On the cross, Jesus cries out the words of Psalm 22, which begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the end of that psalm turns to praise. You saved me. I'll praise you. Let all the nations nations praise the Lord. Suffering can turn to praise. And Jeremiah here is not complaining about how hard things have gotten. He's counseling himself. He's speaking truth to himself. His angst, it led him to the truth that God was going to take care of everything in his own way and in his own time. And lastly, Jeremiah turns to God with his sorrow. Verse 14. To my surprise, many commentators don't really engage with verses 14 through 18 in connection with the rest of this prayer. They see it as disconnected from the rest. It's so much easier to end on that high note of praise in verse 13. But what seems clear to me is that Jeremiah is not fully at peace. He is still wrestling with his traumatic experiences and his doubts. Yes, he can see God as an ever-present warrior, but he cannot deny the darkness that he finds himself in as well. If you look at the words of verses 14 through 18, he wishes he'd never been born. The only thing he sees in his future is more struggle and sorrow and shame. In this moment, Jeremiah turns once more to God with his sorrow and his suffering. He's still not okay. And that's okay. It'd be lovely if every situation in our life moved from sorrow to doubts to praise, the end. But we are not being honest with ourselves if that's what we expect from every difficult situation. 
Jeremiah shows us the truth of it. We are often caught in these cycles of sorrow, doubt, praise. Sorrow, doubt, praise. The only way that Jeremiah, the only way that we will ever come, overcome the doubts and sorrows in our life is if we consistently, daily, turn to God again and again. Each day we have to strive to find our satisfaction in Christ alone. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together, he talks about the end of the day. How do you end the day? He talks about ending the day in, in praise and in prayer. And he has this great line. One day is long enough to keep one's faith. The next day will have its own worries. The Bible gives space for the sorrow that we feel in this life. As we all experience the effects of our sins, the sins of other people living in a fallen world, and the reality that we have an enemy, spiritual enemy, that is against us. So loss, grief, trauma, depression, these are all very real things that our bodies feel. And these are the times when we find out what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God. The only real problem is we, when we remain under the weight of our suffering without faith and hope. John 16.33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. You can turn to God with your sorrow. And you can know that grief and suffering, they have an expiration date. On the other side of death and another time in the future is a day when there will no longer be death, grief, crying, and pain. A day when God will live with us. and On that day, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And you can have these conversations face to face. But until that day, Christian, we must be quick to comfort one another. Sorrow and doubt, they make it feel like all the lights have been blocked out. Our responsibility is to sit with one another in sorrow and in pain and to point out all the pinpricks of light that still shine through the darkness. We can recognize the sorrow together, but then we can turn to truth together. In conclusion, Kevin has been saying that the main character in Jeremiah is the Word of God. And we see it here as well. What happens to people who hold tightly to the Word of God? Well, it's costly for them. What do we do when our Christian faith takes on an intense and personal toll? Well, may we find strength by turning to God with our doubts and despair. And may we then find renewed hope in His presence and countless reasons for praise and worship. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for all of the things that you have brought us through. Uh, this room is filled with stories of, of pain and hurt and questions and doubts and sorrow. Lord, you have helped navigate us through so many of these things. We have often found comfort in your presence. 
Uh, but even today, some of those things still remain. Uh, even today, some of those things are felt fresh and new. Father, I pray that we turn to you today with all of our sorrow and our doubts. May we pray with honesty and confidence to you, knowing that you, you hear us and that you are present with us. Um, may we live with a great resolve for today. May we not worry about tomorrow. May we all live with endurance and, and faith in you, longing with hope for the day where all of these things will be understood as we see you face to face. Thank you for this word from Jeremiah today. I pray this in Jesus' name.